0: While John was praying, I was thinking about this, um, so September 11th, was this our first Sunday when I preached? My wife always remembers better. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so this was exactly one year, um, the first, first sermon I preached here. And... Um, Joy and I were talking about this the other day, and it's like, does it seem like a year that we've been here? And then I said, I think it seems like just a couple of months. And then she started to recall everything that happened in church, and I'm going like, now it seems like three years, right? So, but it's been a, it's been a good year, and it's it's a privilege to um, bring the word to you every week. The word comes to us this morning from Matthew chapter eleven. So Matthew is the first book of the Bible. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can look at the uh, overhead. The passage is there. It's uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30, and we're going to look at the theme of rest, finding our rest in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll be exploring that here. This morning, and hopefully what this passage will do, it'll provide a wonderful segue or a bridge to what we're doing in the Lord's Supper. So please join me, if you would, Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 20. Then he began, that is Jesus, and notice the severity of his words here. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then this beautiful invitation, which will be the focus this morning, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what's really interesting um, about this passage, and um, I, I told you, I don't know, a few minutes ago that I was going to talk, uh, give you an example of this man named Augustine. I'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to I broach this passage here with you just a moment. And I, and I find this passage rather interesting because you notice it begins with some rather severe words from Jesus. Now, I think this is kind of a shock for a lot of people who are curious about the Christian faith and really have little to no knowledge of the Bible because they're always presented by, oftentimes, presented by Christians with a Jesus that is very kind and He's always compassionate and He's saying nice things. And we have this idea of, in our minds, this picture of, Jesus with this kind of long hair and beard and white robe and sandals, and he's just a very gentle and loving and compassionate figure. And there's that side of Jesus. But there's also another side of Jesus. You can see here where Jesus is pronouncing woes upon places that are called Bethsaida and also Capernaum and also Chorazin. And what these were were small towns that Jesus would would enter into And what he would do is he would preach. In other words, he would do something like what I'm doing now. He would preach or he would teach. And in addition to that, he would, and remember we looked at blind Bartimaeus as one example, he would perform many miracles that were restorative in nature. And that's what he was doing in these small towns of Bethsaida and and Capernaum and Corzin. He was preaching and he was teaching and he's performing these miracles to say to the people there, Listen, I am the long-awaited Messiah. I'm the king who's come to bring my kingdom. A kingdom that represents my presence among you, but also my restorative power. Now, I want you to respond to my preaching and my teaching and my miracles. Respond how? By repenting. By coming to the end of yourself, coming to grips with who you are as an individual who's not living right before God, and I want you to draw near to me in repentance and faith. But here's the thing, the individuals in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they didn't want to do that. Jesus came to them, but they said, "Uh uh-uh, don't want to have anything to do with that. And so what Jesus do, he pronounces words of severity, he says, woe to you. You know what woe is in the New Testament? And we see this also in the Old Testament. The word woe actually is a curse. Jesus is pronouncing a curse upon these small towns because they would not repent. The interesting thing is, though, as you go on in the passage and you come to the end of the passage, these words of severity are replaced by what? They're replaced by just this very beautiful, tender invitation where Jesus says, come to me. You don't have to continue in your lack of repentance. No, I want you to draw near to me. I want you to find forgiveness. I want you to find life. So so come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And sometimes we, 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 we think, well, these words of severity and this kindness of Jesus just are incompatible. They just don't reconcile together, and that's not really true. Here's the connection. It's only through words calling for repentance and a coming to Jesus that we actually find his compassion and kindness and rest. Repentance and faith precedes rest. I want to demonstrate that more as we look at this together. Before we look at the words of Jesus' tender invitation, I want to give you just one example of a man who kind of came to the end of himself and he came to faith and rest in Jesus Christ. Like I said, his name was Augustine, and um, I mentioned him, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And Augustine, Augustine was a man who, by his own admission, was kind of a lost soul. He was a restless soul. He was born many years ago in AD 354, so it's like, I don't know, 1700, almost 1800 years ago, long time ago. And he was, when he was a kid... When he was a child, he was a really smart child, and when he got into his 20s, he started to study philosophy, not Christian philosophy, but more pagan philosophy. But he was also a man who kind of lived a rough immoral moral life. He, uh, he was living with a woman for a while. She was actually his mistress, and he actually fathered a child with her out of wedlock. And this really bothered his mother because Augustine was born into kind of a divided home. His mom was a Christian. Her name was Monica, and his dad was named uh, Patricius, and he was a non-Christian. So all the Christian training w- that he received when he was young came from his mom, which is not unusual today. Okay? And so his mother, when, when he was living this rough, rough life, She was praying and praying for him, and then one day, and I'm leaving out a lot of details for the sake of time, but one day, he came under the influence of a man who was doing what I'm doing right now, preaching. He came under the influence of a man named Ambrose. And he found that when Ambrose was preaching, his, his heart was, in a strange way, it was becoming warmed to the things of God, which then brought about an exploration over time, and this is oftentimes what happens, is that people begin to ask themselves the question, well, actually, what is in this book? Because I know that Christians read this book, the Bible, so they begin reading. And that's what Augustine did. He read, and then there was a point in time, and it's a fabulous story. Again, I'm not going to go into all the details. But as he was reading one day, it was as if God shot an arrow that flew through the air and right into his own heart. And he read this text that changed the course of his life. And that text was this. Clothe yourself or put on the Lord Jesus Christ and no longer make any provision to satisfy the dark desires of your life. And when he read that, it's like he was stopped in his tracks and it moved him from a point of unrest a point of rest that was found in coming to grips with who Jesus was and his need for him. And he went on to write this, and as I said earlier, he's full of famous sayings, but one of the most well-known sayings of Augustine is this, Lord, you have made us for yourself and we are restless until we find rest in thee. And I want to suggest to you that when Augustine wrote that, after he was converted to Christ, He was drawing upon the very wording of this text. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. A tender invitation from the lips of Jesus. Now, in this invitation, what is Jesus really getting at? Kids, I want you to listen up. Is the text still up there? Okay, I want you to take a look up here once, if you would. And I want you to take a look. You can see the number 28 there. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll explain what that means in a moment. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then at the very end, he says, For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Could you know what a yoke is? A yoke is is something to help you bear weight. Okay, so imagine this it's a piece of wood, typically. And if you've ever uh, been to third world countries, maybe like the continent of Africa, I don't know if John and Nave remember this, but you had a yoke, right? And you put it around your, you put it around your neck and it goes across your shoulders. and then it, can, it, help, it helps you to get, carry more weight than you normally can. okay? So So kids imagine this. say, say that you're in a poor country, and you don't have milking equipment, you've got a couple cows and you're milking them by hand. And you milk and you put the milk in these pails, and the pails are, let's say, 25 or 30 pounds each, that's pretty heavy. And imagine taking um, one pail in one hand, another pail in the other hand, and you're walking around like this, right? And let's say you have to walk 100 yards. Well, your arms are going to be pretty tired. So what a yoke is designed to do, you put around the neck and the shoulders, as I said, and then you have two chains or two ropes that connect to the pails so that you carry it like this, right? So, 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 instead of the weight being borne by your arms, what's happening is the weight is borne by your shoulders and your neck, the core, the core. This is why when people lift weights, what do they work on? Oftentimes, they do what's called squats and other other um, exercises to strengthen the core, their ab muscles and their back muscles and shoulder muscles. Why? Because you can, you can bear more weight. You're healthy if you're strength if you have a, a, a if you have core strength. Well, anyway, this is the way it was. And so, what Jesus is saying here is that when he's talking about this yoke, he's he's talking about a device that helps someone carry a lot of weight. Well, when you look at some of the chapters leading up to this invitation of Jesus, Jesus would have run-ins with some religious leaders of his day who would put, actually, heavy, heavy yokes on people that that felt like a 1,000 pounds. You say, well, what kind of weight? The weight of laws and customs and requirements, and basically they taught the people, if you follow this and you do that, then God will accept you and you will be a good person, right? You will live in communion with God, but you need to do this and this and this. And there were so many written laws and oral law traditions that were foisted upon the people that they felt that they were just simply burdened. They wanted to be light, but they were being burdened by these laws and these, 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 these many customs. You know, when you, when you examine the world today, there's a lot of people who, sometimes they realize it, sometimes they don't, but they're, they're bearing a heavy weight. They're being, sometimes it feels like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. They're, they're bearing the weight of trying to make ends meet in their life. They're, they're bearing the weight of people's expectations. It may be family, it may be friends, it may be whoever. And, it, and, and they're, feeling, they're feeling weighted down. And then in, in addition to that, the Bible talks about the weight of sin and the repercussions or the results of, of sin in their lives. And then most of all, there, there is the weight of a lot of people in the world who are just trying to work their way to God. Because they have the idea... It may be a part of their religion, or maybe they're not even religious people, but they have the idea in the back of their mind that if I just do this, and this, and this, and I live a certain way, then God will accept me. Then God will be my friend. Then God will love me. Can you imagine the weight of that burden? You say, well, why would they have a burden doing that? if they're trying to work their way to God. Because here's the thing, you never know if in the end you have done enough good things or quality of things actually to merit the favor of God. You can only hope that it's going to work out for you. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked to people who are not Christians, who they may be from other religions or they may be outside the Christian faith and you ask in the end, do you believe in a heaven or hell? And many times they go, yeah, I think there's a good place or a bad place you go. And I'm like, well... Um, where do you think you're going? And 99% of the time, so I think I'm going to go in the good place. And I ask him, well, why why do you think you're going to end up in the good place and not the bad place? Well, you know the answer, right? Because I haven't been perfect, but I've been pretty good. But my question is, but have you been good enough? Do you really know that you've been good enough for God? Do you think he'll really accept you? And what's always their answer? I hope. I hope. Jesus gives us more confidence than that. When you take a look at the passage, Jesus says, Come to me, take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, in contrast to just what I told you, is easy and my burden is light. Why is Jesus' yoke easy? Why is it light? Because it it is the yoke where Jesus says, Listen, stop trying to work your way into God's good graces. You need to understand that I've done the work for you. And I have paid the penalty of the wages of sin, which is death. I paid that penalty. Stop trying to work your way to God and entrust yourself to my work. And when you do that, that's the way that you find acceptance with God. I've been perfectly obedient for you. I've paid the price of sin for you. That's why I came into this world. Just accept that come to me surrender your life to me and follow me and live in the joy of that live in the joy of that rest so jesus says come come and he says here's the thing as we look at the text again jesus says if you come here's what you're going to find you're going to find two things you're going to find that i am you're going to find that i am gentle verse 29 and you're going to find that i'm lowly in heart or humble in heart what does jesus mean by that well the word gentle here that Jesus uses is found three times in the New Testament, okay? And this is one time. And the word gentle is not difficult. It means that when, when, when we come to Jesus, we're not going to find harshness. If you come to Jesus, Jesus is not like this. He's not a stern man. He doesn't have crossed arms. And he doesn't say when you come to him, uh, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Jesus is gentle. Jesus is also, the Bible says, humble or lowly of heart, and the idea here is, in a sense, the stooping of God himself, where he comes down to our level. Sometimes when when kids come in the room and you want to receive kids, what do you do? You kind of, oh, you come down, like you come to their level and you talk to them on their level, otherwise you feel like you're always talking down to a kid. In some ways, sometimes we are like kids coming to Jesus, and he stoops down to our level. He is lowly, he is humble of heart. And the main idea that Jesus is getting at when he talks about being gentle and he talks about being lowly, he's telling us, you know what? And this comes from the innermost parts of his being. He says, I'm approachable. I'm accessible. You can always come. And you'll never be, you'll never be pushed away. You know, if you start exploring the Bible, particularly the first four books of the New Testament, you start reading about the life and the ministry of Jesus, you know what you find? You find the approachability of Jesus over and over and over again. You know that there are all kinds of people that you read about that were in need of some form of healing and restoration. You got lepers, you got blind people like Bartimaeus that we saw earlier. You have people who are demon-possessed, you have people who are lame, you have people mute, they couldn't talk, all these different kinds of individuals. And it's very interesting that over and over again, these individuals hear about Jesus, and and they come to Jesus, and what do they do? They cry out to Him. They They don't get the idea, as word is spreading around about Jesus, that He's a harsh guy, and it's like, don't take your time coming to Him, He'll just push you away. No way. They would cry out to him, and Jesus would spend time with them, and sometimes he would heal them. Or you think about parents. We read in the Bible on a number of occasions how parents would bring their small children to Jesus in order to do what? To to lay his hands on them and bless them. And every time those parents brought their kids to Jesus, they could be toddlers. In one case, the word brephé in the Greek is used. It means infants. They bring their little infants to kids. And you never find Jesus with crossed arms saying, you know what, you know, i got a lot of things I have to do in the ministry here, and a lot of people need help, and I don't got time for the kids. Never. Let the little children come to me, he says, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Or do you remember the time where there was a woman in the Bible who was simply called a sinner? A sinner refers to an immoral woman of some kind. It's kind of a general term. Many commentators believe that she was actually a prostitute. And she was tired of living her life. And one day she came to a home of a man named Simon the Pharisee. He's one of these religious leaders, right, who would put all the weight on the people. But Jesus was visiting with Simon one day because Simon wanted him in his home. So Jesus is visiting with Simon, and there's this unnamed woman, likely this prostitute, who sneaks into Simon's home. And do you remember what she does? She does. She she has a a, a jar of expensive perfume. Who knows, maybe she bought that perfume with her duties in the night. And she comes to Jesus, and she pours that perfume on Jesus' feet, and then she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Simon is looking at this, and he's thinking to himself, oh, if he only knew what kind of woman this was. Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman she was, and that she was tired of her life, and she came to him for forgiveness. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then one final thing. Can you put that on the overhead, that text from Luke chapter 15? Take a look at this. Just one other example. Now, tax collectors who were also known as skimming monies off the top, they were oftentimes immoral individuals. They were cheats. And here's a general term again, sinners. We're all, notice, drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders, are grumbling about this, saying this man receives sinners and he actually eats with them. Now, the word receive there in the original language is not the typical word that's used for receive in the Greek language. It's the word "prosdekomai," which carries with it more weight. It's a re- type of receiving where you actually sit down and you eat with someone, like what we're going to do yeah, in just a moment after the service, right? We're going to have a meal together. And that's what Jesus would sit down, and he would, he would eat, and he would drink. In other words, he would spend time with them. So when these people would come to him, he did not say, hey, what are you doing here? you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with you. That's what the Pharisees did. He did not do that. Nor did Jesus say, okay, you can come to me and then give him a honeymoon handshake, say, you know what, um, nice to meet you. You need to change. Move on. He invested in them. He received them. Here's my point. We could go on and on about this. Jesus was approachable. Jesus was approachable. Would that we be as approachable as Jesus. Right? It's hard to be like Jesus. (laughs) It's really hard to be like Jesus. So Jesus says, come. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But just, you need to come. Come to me. What does it mean to come to Jesus? I know this is really a basic thought and really basic theology, but what does it really mean to to come to Jesus? Does does it mean to, you know, put your shoes on, tie them up, and walk to Jesus? What does it mean to really come to Jesus? It means, brothers and sisters, and you hear this over and over again, but we need to hear it over and over again, it means to simply come to the end of ourselves and say, enough. I'm going to heed the call of Jesus. I'm going to walk in his direction, and I'm going to do what he calls me to do, and that is to... Repent of my sin. That means to turn from my sin and seek in my heart of hearts to flee from sin and all its consequences in my life, to come to him and believe in him and entrust myself not to my ability to work myself into God's good graces, but to rest upon his work that he performed for me. And from that point on, having surrendered to him, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. So Jesus says, come. I want you to hear that, because that's for every one of us. Most importantly, God wants you to believe that. And finally now, God wants you to see it. Because I want you to see what's up here. Because what you see is a very simple table here. And the theme of this table is rest. You get to hear about rest in Jesus. Now you get to see what rest in Jesus really means. You say, what does rest in Jesus really mean? It means this, and this is what the table points to. There is bread here, and there is wine here. And the bread points to the body of Jesus Christ, and the wine points symbolically to the blood of Jesus Christ that were both willingly and lovingly given by Jesus So that we might be freed of our sins and placed into an acceptable and loving relationship with God. How beautiful is that? It's a table it's a table of rest. So that when Jesus come unto me and I will give you rest, when we celebrate this together, we know that he means it. We know that he means it. So, listen carefully. I want to restate something. That um, I stated beginning of the service. If you are here this morning and you have really never repented of your sins, and you've never believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and if you have never really, in light of faith, attached yourself to a church like this, or a gospel-centered, genuine, true church of any kind, then what I'm gonna ask you to do is that when you see people coming forward to partake of the Lord's Supper, I'm gonna ask you, as I said earlier, not to come forward and not to partake. Now, without having been said, this doesn't mean that this is for perfect people because there's no one perfect here. But it is for those who are Christians. And if you have not formally committed your life to Christ, just, just watch the people come forward. Refrain from the table, but don't refrain. Don't push Christ away because he offers you to himself. He offers himself to you now. But if you have repented and you have believed, and you have belonged to the church of Jesus Christ, and you've publicly professed that faith in Jesus Christ, then come, and come as, as John Zietzma prayed on a number of occasions in that prayer. Come with joy. Remember with sorrow what Jesus had done for you. It was a great sacrifice, but come with joy above all, knowing that in placing your faith in Jesus Christ, he has done for you what he promised to do, and that is give you Rest. So, before we partake together, please join me in uh, prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. That is, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, that for any who come to you, they may find forgiveness, and they may also enter into a state of rest. Lord, no doubt many of us are weary here this morning. We are tired. Maybe, Lord, we are a restless soul. But, Lord, we pray that you would work your grace in our lives and open our eyes as you did blind Bartimaeus so that we may see Jesus, draw near to him, and find our rest in him. Lord, bless this meal now to our bodies, but bless it more even to our souls. Strengthen our faith through it, we pray, and grant us even greater energy then to walk in the paths of righteousness and joy. For your name's sake, we pray.